Jared, my first question for you is very important, and I know you'll have a good answer for it. Do you like In-N-Out or Five Guys more? Ooh, this is Southern California. It's In-N-Out all day with peppers. You know, you're not the first person to say that. And that's also my preference, too. I go double-double with chilies. Yeah. You have yeah. to, right? It's got to be. I'm not saying Five Guys isn't bad, but I will tell you that uh, if you walk into Five Guys and don't know what you're doing, you end up with a hamburger and two buns and nothing on it. <laughs> you can also probably go wrong the other way and have every single topping in there and spend too much money. And then, you know, you're sick for the rest of the day. That's that's true. I feel like with the simplicity of in and out, you just can't go wrong. It can only get better with our hidden menu. So. Welcome to season two of 10 questions with 10 pastors brought to you by Gateway Seminary with your host, Tyler Sanders. This is the second season of 10 Questions with 10 Pastors. I'm Tyler Sanders, Director of Communications at Gateway. With me today is Jared Ossilier, who's lead pastor at Story City Church in Burbank, California. Jared's been at this church for a year. And uh, actually, I think that's the first question I want you to be able to, to tell us is, will you tell us a little bit about how you ended up at this church and and what's it, what's the church about? Yeah, well, how I got here is a... I would say miracle in and of itself. Um, I grew up in Northern California, uh, Santa Cruz to be specific, pastored in Hawaii, pastored in San Diego. And the very first thing they make you promise in Northern California and San Diego is you promise to hate Los Angeles for the rest of your life. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The very fact that I would end up in Los Angeles is clearly either God's punishment or, uh, <laughs> or something. Cause I went, you know, Hawaii, San Diego, LA. I mean, yeah. if I keep this up, he's going to send me to Fresno or something. That's right. So <laughs> uh, no offense, Sean Beatty, but, uh, anyway, um, we actually talked to yeah. him in the first season of the podcast. Oh, I love Sean. I yeah. followed Sean. I was at, uh, I replaced Sean at generation church in Oceanside before this church. And so oh. Sean and I have a great relationship. He's oh, that's, a, that's fantastic. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, so we um, were well into pastoring generation in Oceanside. Um, at that point, it had been more of a revitalization and uh, things had finally turned around. We felt like it was going the right direction. We were getting ready to church plants and felt like uh, God told myself and the elders that it was time for me to uh, to hand it off. <laughs> that was not what I wanted to do, especially after all that work. Mm. Um, but we said, OK, Lord, we'll do any time, any place, no matter the cost. And he said, LA is where you're going. And we, we went, okay, wait, we need to rethink this. Uh, but God was gracious and he, he moved us up here. Um, we, everything that we thought we were going to do did not work out. Uh, we mm-hmm. ended up taking a job with send network as a church planning catalyst. And uh, it turned out to be perfect. It turned out that it was a placeholder because at the time we didn't know that the pastor who was at story city was planning on leaving. And so um, six months Six months later, uh, he approached me and said, hey, would you consider taking Story City? And so we prayed about it and felt like that's exactly what God wants to do. And so it was pretty incredible. It worked out. It was a six-month interview process for us, for this church, which was pretty quick. But I'd already been attending here. They knew me. Mm. Uh, and so uh, I worked for Send for one year to the day before taking this church. Wow. And so, and that was, that process started like 18 months ago. So this has been, your whole time at the church has kind of been in the COVID 
the COVID era, I guess, right? Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. Yep. Well, let's take a step further back into the past. And why don't you tell me how you became a Christian? I had the privilege of growing up with uh, parents who love Jesus. Uh, they came out of the Jesus movement. Um, so weird combo. My dad was military. My mom was hippie. That was a very strange upbringing, um, especially when you mix in the Jesus movement. But, um, but yeah, as far back as I can remember, I've loved Jesus. Um, I knew my, my uh, dad was in ministry. Mom was in ministry. I knew from the time I was eight that I was called to be a pastor. So this was um, not a surprise as far as where I ended up. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, what are you reading right now? Oh man, um, I am reading the Celtic Wave of Evangelism by George Hunter the Third. Okay, I'm reading. I'm gonna look at my thing. I'm reading. I'm going through Preachers and Preachers again, just because I've got a cohort of guys learning to preach. Hmm. And then I am reading the Coaching Habit by Ken. I can't remember his name, but it's uh, it's about uh, it's about how you coach in ministry for leadership. Fantastic. Now it's great that you're you're reading a, a preaching book because that's my next my next set of questions. Uh, what's your big picture approach to sermon preparation? Like, how do you, how do you go through themes? What are you imagining? What are you thinking? How do you connect that to your church? Yeah, that's a great question. And I know everybody does this really differently. So, uh, I, I can't even tell you where we came up with ours, but, um, I've been doing it for most of my ministry now. Each year, uh, I take the elders away on a retreat. I ask them to pray and fast for a week ahead of time. And then we come in and we ask the Lord, is there a theme or a direction you want to take your church this year? Is there something that you want us to kind of tie to uh, or tie back to in everything we do? Hmm. So, for instance, the very first year that I was at Generation, there was just it was a tough transition. The two interim pastors between Sean and I were you know, had a hard time. And so the church was was kind of spiraling at that moment. And uh, the elders and I came out of that meeting feeling like, stability was the word that God was giving us. And so the question is, well, how do you get stability? Well, it's you take your eyes off of you and your circumstances and you put them on Jesus, right? And so for us, everything was then about how do we get the church's eyes on the, the nature and character of God? So we taught through, um, you know, Job, how does, who is God in the midst of chaos? We taught through things like, uh, you know, the Psalms. We taught through, um, you know, through in a couple topical ones in there, uh, the names of God, just so that we could understand God's nature and character and how he, how he represents himself to us or how we understand him is a better way to say that. Hmm. And so those themes then give way to, okay, where, where do we see that lived out best in scripture and, and what books do we then want to share? This is to, you know, how God is answering that theme for us. And that basically determines the, the things that we're going through for the year. I've been doing that for several years now. It's always amazing what God does. Um, almost every year, somebody's like, man, I can't believe the things that we went through this year as a church, like the sermon series answered it. And it was like, yeah, we had no idea we were going to go through those things, but clearly God did. And so he always gave us exactly what we needed to get through that particular year. Hmm. That's the big picture of how we kind of come up with our, what are we going to preach the year? So I already have, um, we do September to August. Okay. So I already have here's sermons already laid out. We have all of our weeks picked. So everybody ahead of time already knows creative has all my stuff early. We have, uh, we don't have all the scriptures, you know, narrowed down. It might be like, Hey, we're preaching through first Corinthians. We don't have that outlined yet, but we know this series will be about first Corinthians this year. Yeah. And so we have those things in common, 
And then I do things um, a little bit different as far as like how we do sermon prep itself. So uh, we're a family of churches. We're, we have uh, two campuses right now, and uh, we you know, hope that we'll continue to launch more. But the way that we do sermon prep is we write our sermons together, team writing approach. So every Tuesday, we have any of our staff is invited, uh, which is fun for us. We always get different perspectives and different viewpoints. I haven't been single in 25 years, almost 26 years. And so uh, having a single woman's uh, perspective into something is always great in, in how I relate that to my audience. And so hmm. uh, it's always fun to, to have different views as we execute scripture together. But the pastors basically, uh, we will all write the three points together. And we will leave that meeting. Okay, here's our scripture. Here's what we're going to talk about. Here's the big idea. Here's our three points or two points or five points, whatever it is. Uh, and then each pastor takes that back and they fill out the sermon to their own context. So we're preaching same topics, same points, but they get to fill it in with their own examples, their own stuff. And so I take Wednesday to write mm -hmm. and I'll write my sermon, finish it up Wednesday. And then Thursday, I'll go back over it again, make sure there's nothing that I need to change. And then I send my sermon out to all the elders, I send it out to the people who are in the sermon writing team. I send it to a couple pastors outside of my church, and then I send it to two non-Christians. And then we get feedback. Um, I especially love the feedback from the non-Christians. Yeah, I imagine. Um, it's people I have a relationship that they know I'm not trying to convert them. They just know like, hey, this doesn't make sense, or that's really, that must be a Christian thing because I don't understand that. Mm. And so it gives me the opportunity to make sure that what I'm talking about is accessible to everybody that's in the room. And then I make my last minute changes. Don't touch it on um, on Friday or Saturday. Make my last minute changes Sunday based on the feedback mm -hmm. and uh, practice it a bunch of times and then preach it. That's fantastic. And you actually, that was my next question was what, what is the week to week prep like? That's, that's great. I'm glad you went there. Now, the next question is, uh, what do you think the most difficult passage or topic you've preached on? Oh, man. You know, I would say that has depended on the audience, right? So um, one of the difficult things in this church, when I came, I was the only non-white staff member or leader in this church, which was very unusual for Los Angeles. Hmm. So that was a difficult one. And part of the difficulty is that uh, many people think that you have answered the ideas of racial reconciliation if you are at awareness. And the problem is that awareness isn't really action. It's just awareness. And so trying to help our people understand that uh, many of these issues are, are really gospel issues. We see this throughout scripture. Uh, that was a tough, tough topic when you're preaching to a mostly white audience, mm. but also at the same time having many, many, many of our people of color who are here with real wounds and hurts. And so trying to find a balance of how do I minister to those wounds as a pastor? How do I challenge those who have not been wounded or don't understand? And yet do it in a way that is all about making sure that Jesus is first and foremost, that he's glorified in everything we do. That, that was a little bit of a tricky one for, for me. And it, I would say partly it's not because it was difficult in scripture. It was partly just difficult because culturally, as a person of color myself, it's it's the temptation can be to try to use 
this goes for all pastors and all subjects to try to use the sermon as a club or as a hammer or as a weight hmm. and straighten people out. And the truth is that that never works. That's not how scripture works. And God is a God of grace. God is a God who calls us into repentance. God is a God who, who is the one who's supposed to fix people. The church doesn't fix people. In fact, we don't fix ourselves. And we as churches get into way too much trouble when we try and make people into our image or the image we think they should be. Mm, that's a good word. What a role, responsibility, and ministry do you feel like is a sweet spot? And what's one that you're working on? It's great. Uh, I love these questions, Tyler. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Thanks for answering them. Yeah. Yeah. I, so sweet spot for me is, um, is twofold. I think it is helping make difficult things understandable or accessible to people. So for me, I love preaching, but I feel like it's, it's preaching for me is about really helping those who maybe wouldn't be able to, to understand something as complex and try to break that down uh, in a way that just makes it, again, accessible to everybody. That's, that's something I really value. I really appreciate. Um, I've learned that it's harder to make complex things simple than it is to explain complex things in a complex way. Hmm. And so it's a, it's a challenge and I enjoy that challenge. I love, I love working hard to kind of break down some of our big Christianese ideas or words and make it so that, uh, that even, you know, uh, brand new Christians, which I have a lot of in my church, um, could understand. Secondly, I'd, I'd say that, um, understanding relational evangelism in the context of my culture is something that I really love. It's a sweet spot for me. Um, I've, I find that everywhere I go, there's just an, I don't know, God's given me a gift to be able to really connect with a lot of non-Christians and build a relationship in a way that um, allows us introduction to the gospel. And so I love bringing people with me into that. Hmm. So we love taking my interns out and, and helping them see and know here's why we build these relationships. And we can talk a lot more about that because cultural context in general is something I think we're missing, but, um, Hmm. But yeah, that's, those are my two sweet spots. As far as an area that I need to improve on, there's so many, I mean, <laughs> maybe there's a question you need to ask my wife, which, which area do you want worked on first? Uh, you know, like all pastors, I think I, I still struggle with conflict. It seems like I'm either too slow to get there or too quick to get there. Hmm. Uh, it seems like uh, I oftentimes end up taking it personal but I would say my biggest issue is just going into everything too fast. Um, typical church planter, God is a God of the long game. And so often I, even when I know his direction, I want to rush to get there. And so I think if I need to work on one thing more than anything else, it's just, it's just slowing down, slowing in the way that I implement my decisions, slowing down in the way that we want to see things happen, just being patient with change. All of those things are, are probably areas that I would say I'd, I need to grow most in. Hmm. Would you share with us a, like a specific moment, like a swing and a miss moment you've had in ministry? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, for me, uh, and, and, and I'm going to choose this one in particular because it's, it's kind of all over the board. And it's, it is a swing and a miss. But I would say, hopefully there's somebody listening to this that will take something out of this and walk away helped, if that makes sense. And, and it's um, my very first church plant. We were planting out of Hawaii and came to San Diego. And I made a ton of first church planting mistakes. 
things like uh, I was living 45 minutes away from the place I was planting and was trying to commute every day down there. That, that doesn't work. I assumed I knew the people because it was very much like the town I grew up in, uh, which doesn't work. But the biggest thing was I had a chip on my shoulder in that uh, the place that I left said, we believe that you're called by God. We believe that you're supposed to plant, but we don't think it's now. We think you need to wait. And I said, we've heard from God. We have to go. We're going anyway. And uh, so we parachuted into a place we didn't know with no team, no money, nothing. And over the next year and a half, built a core team of roughly 25 people who were uh, non-churched or de-churched. And, uh, and so if I look back now, I'm like, man, that's, that's an incredible feat in a year and a half, hmm. uh, to build a core team out of that. At the time, I thought I was the biggest failure in the world, partly because again, I was trying to prove myself to everybody else, believe God and myself. And so, um, so I quit and uh, I quit in the middle of that feeling like I was the biggest failure, feeling like I would never go back in ministry again. Yeah, there was, there was, I think the swing and the miss wasn't the failure of the church plant. The swing and the miss was there were still people in my life who were telling me, this is good, keep going. And, uh, and I thought, you know, a year and a half in, I should be a hundred people. Like, this is how church plants wow. work. Just, just the yeah. arrogance, the pride, the trying to prove myself. And, and so for me, this idea, and, and I'm like, don't get so serious all the time. But um, for me, the, the, again, moving too fast and trying to prove myself, prove my value or my worth or find my identity and who I am as a pastor have been some of the most devastating mistakes I've made throughout my career. This is my 21st year in ministry. And if I could fix those three things, it would have been a radically different ministry. Hmm. Um, at the same time, I wouldn't trade any of it because those are the things that God has used exactly to shape who I am, to, to make me way more humble than I was before, to allow me to have grace for the way that I see other planters. In fact, I would say it's probably the reason that we care so much about planting and care so much about our residents is because I've, I've failed in those ways too. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad you said that because I, I have one more question for you. And I think it's... I think this is a, a good, it's a good pertinent question, I think, because of what you just said. Uh, so my last question is, you know, if you could, what advice would you give to yourself as a first year pastor? Hey, don't take yourself so seriously. God doesn't need you. The reality is, is if God wanted, um, you know, my dead grandmother to be the best church planter in the world, you guys would like to make her the best church planter in the world, right? <laughs> And yeah, I know I use my grandmother, but the point is, is that God could do anything if God wants. And so the truth is that I think the reason that God calls us to the pastorate is as much for what he wants to do in us as what he wants to do through us. And so if we are as caring about what God wants to teach us through each circumstance as we are about what God wants us to accomplish, I think we would pay much more attention to soul care, much more attention to our families, much more attention to being with God for the purpose of being with God and not trying to accomplish something. I think those things would allow us a lot more grace for ourselves and others, but it would also take a whole lot of pressure off of trying to be something or succeed in something that really is God's to succeed in. So to quote Larry Osborne, I would say, do your best and take a nap. <laughs> That's great. And that's actually a perfect way to end our podcast, I think. Thank you so much, Jared, for, uh, for joining us today. And I uh, appreciate everything you had to say. My pleasure. Thank you. 